0: Dealing with those in in opposition to the truth. Dealing with those in opposition to the truth. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. By the grace of God, I have been in full-time ministry for 20 years this week. It has been filled with many joys. And rewarding moments, there are many blessings I am thankful for. In fact, in many ways, I pray the next 20 years, if the Lord tarries, will be just as fruitful as the past 20 years. But as I reflect back over the years, one of the saddest parts of ministry has been watching people slowly drift away from the truth following after false teachers or false teaching. They bought into a lie from the enemy that gave them an excuse to bail on the bride of Christ. Often their drift started over what appeared to be a rather small issue or something maybe not even specifically addressed in Scripture. It could be an argument over music worship style, youth group, some obscure Bible passage or concept, a liberty issue, a legalistic mandate, not being treated a specific way, an unmet expectation or a disagreement over an unbiblical priority. Sadly, these disputes often grew up in the heart of some people, And slowly it was used to lead people away from the truth and the fellowship of the body of Christ. However, what's really revealing over time, we find out the person is now not even following Christ anymore. They left for one reason, but now they're not even going to church anymore. Or they're doing their so-called worship from home by themselves. They have been consumed by the world. Interestingly enough, the initial issue they had isn't even a part of their life anymore. They're not even wanting to talk about that anymore. For example, I remember once a family left our church when we first started the church, a little bit after we first started church. Most of you don't even know them, so it's not going to cause you to stumble because we didn't have a praise and worship team. It was a real small church. We were in a ballroom. There was a disco ball, but we didn't have a praise and worship. T- we didn't have a praise and worship team for the disco ball. <laughs> so they left for a better opportunity to worship. Sadly, they reached out to me a few years later. They said they were in crisis in their marriage. In fact, they weren't going to church anymore, and they were back to their old lifestyle. Initially. They wanted a better worship experience. But then as time went along, the heart was exposed that the problem was much deeper. These were dear friends of ours who had helped start the church with us. And now today, they are far from God. Sadly, it all started over an unbiblical dispute, an unmet expectation. Something that should not have even been their focus. And yet this one issue consumed them. And no amount of counseling and listening could appease them. And this dispute became the catalyst for a drift in their lives away from the plain and simple truth of the gospel. So who was the false teacher in all this? Who led them astray? Well... This is tricky. I'm convinced it was the, quote, dynamic worship experience, end quote, that they were seeing on YouTube or at the megachurches. It was that idea, oh, I want that kind of experience at worship. No, I'm not saying all of that worship is always false. I'm not saying that. But it creates in the heart this unwise expectation However, worship is more about our doctrine than the size or quality of our praise team. Friends, we need to be on guard of these kind of false thoughts that are right there in the edge of our thought process. You know, all of us fight these thoughts, don't we? Those thoughts that come into your mind and they cause you to question, is this the way it should be done? Why aren't they doing this? There's not necessarily a biblical mandate that says don't do that or do that. But we have it and it sits there and it eats at us. And then maybe we address it with one of the elders and the elder doesn't really see it the same way and doesn't say exactly, oh, I agree with you. We've got to change. And you begin to argue and debate. What we're going to see today is, is that these kind of wrangling over words and disputes, those kind of things, are the way that the enemy begins to plant seeds of doubt in the heart. and To cause people to drift away. Last time we were in 2 Timothy, we saw Paul was emphasizing to Timothy the necessity of enduring for the gospel, even in suffering. Remember, this letter is written as an encouragement to the believers, to, to cause them to persevere, to cause Timothy to persevere through the difficulties. As Paul is in prison and he's suffering and facing his own death, he's calling Timothy to step up and follow along, endure, persevere, don't give up, don't let these false distractions lead you away. And teach other men not to, be fall, to fall into these distractions. We saw last time in 2 Timothy 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, that Paul explained that the disciples of Christ endure by first remembering the gospel, in verses 8 and 9, remember Jesus. Second, by living to see others obtain salvation, in verse 10, And then finally we saw, by trusting in the faithful father, found in that little hymn in verses 11 to 13. Today, we start a two-part series on how the Lord's bondservant is to deal with false teachers. This section actually runs all the way down through the end of the chapter in verse 26. There are several valuable nuggets... ...of truth for us to know, understand, and apply in this passage. All of us who love the truth hate it when the truth is twisted, don't we, by false teachers? We hate it when it's twisted. It grieves us greatly when we see other fellow sheeps stray away from the truth because of false teachers... It also deeply grieves us when we see these false teachers presenting a false gospel that is associated with Christianity and therefore hinders people from coming to true faith in Christ. Don't we hate false teaching? How many of you hate false teaching? I hate it. It can get our blood boiling, can't it? It can cause us to think it is our role to humble these false teachers... Or anybody propagating this false teaching. We can take it as our mission to correct or fix those false teachers. I'm going to silence those guys. We can take it as our main responsibility to protect everyone from this false teaching. You know, there's truth in that, in these statements. There's a little bit of truth in these statements of trying to protect people. Or... Confronting false teachers. We do have a responsibility to protect other sheep, don't we? And to confront false teaching, don't we? But, as we have seen countless times in Scripture, it is a heart issue also how we do it. If our pride drives us, our, it drives our duty, if our pride drives our duty, Or our lack of trust and dependence on the sovereign God characterizes our duty to defend. At any moment, we are vulnerable of doing things completely wrong. In fact, we run the risk of actually being more of a hindrance for the gospel than help for the gospel. I've learned this sadly over the 20 years, over and over and over again. Sometimes knowing what is right and trying to talk to people and convince them it becomes my agenda. and I have to die to my heart and trust the sovereign Lord to work. Pride in the teacher is one of the fiery darts. Listen closely. Pride in the teacher is one of the fiery darts. The enemy whispers into the mind of the perplexed believer. ...who is questioning the teacher. In other words, the enemy does this. Oh, he's just prideful. He just thinks too much of himself. That teacher thinks way too much of himself. What happens? They use, the enemy uses that... ...to try to separate and divide. When the strained believer sees pride in the teacher... ...or in the preacher... Even to those whom he's trying to instruct, they often fail to even hear the truth the shepherd is trying to encourage them with. Every parent should listen to this too. Because the facts are, your kids see it too. Our kids see it when it's about us instead about God and his truth. Very often, they see right through our pride. We need the Lord, don't we, folks? We will see Paul specifically addresses this issue of the shepherd's heart in the next two sections. This section in 2 Timothy 2, 14-26 will lay out a blueprint of how we deal with those who are in opposition to the truth. And deal with those that are listening to the false teaching and buying those lies. And how do we deal with it? Two of the false teachers are listed in verse 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus. We learn from the Apostle Paul exactly how we are to deal with those who are in opposition to the gospel. These scriptures are extremely valuable for each of us who walk in a dark world with many enemies around us. Paul explains to Timothy, his son in the faith, what he should be instructing the faithful followers of Christ to do with regards to false teaching. Again, Timothy's in Ephesus. Ephesus was arguably the best church in all of Asia Minor. The one, the pinnacle, the one that the letter of Ephesians was written to, that Paul wrote to. A strong, thriving church that had many elders... And Timothy is over that group, and Timothy is being instructed. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. To the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The faithful followers are, then, uh, the, are the them of verse 14. Look at it. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them... Now, it's in italics in your Bible, but it's implied. It's who he was instructed. It's it's who Timothy was to instruct. It was the faithful followers that he had already mentioned back in verse 2. So this is how you deal with false teaching. This is how you deal with those that are being led astray. And this is what we should instruct one another, those who are faithful followers, how we should deal with it. So let's walk down through this passage and see how the faithful follower of Christ should deal with false teachers and their opposition to the truth. Again, just to remind you, all of the following imperatives, there are going to be imperatives again. This section, the whole book is all about commands, isn't it? We talked about it over and over and over. Do this. Do this. Do this. You must do this. You should do this. Do this. All of these imperatives are achievable by the grace of God that is working in us who believe. God's grace is abundantly available to all who are in Christ Jesus. We can obey by faith through His work in us. So let's get ready to see how we can obey the Lord and serve Him. His grace is there for us and it's sufficient. So what should we do in Christ to avoid the deception of false teachers in this world? First, notice, we must rehearse the doctrine of God's faithfulness. We must rehearse the doctrine of God's faithfulness. It's that first command in verse 14. Remind them of these things. What things? What are these things? Well, it's the same thing we talked about last time we were in 2 Timothy. It's the words right previous to it. It's the doctrine of God's faithfulness. It's God's sovereign plan for his own and how he protects them and how he is faithful to the end. Look at 2 Timothy 1.11 thir- rather, uh, 2.11 rather. 2 Timothy 2.11. It says, it is a trustworthy, faithful word. For if we died with him, if we've died, if we've been converted, we've died our old way we will also live with Him. We are spiritually alive, and one day we will be resurrected with Him. If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we persevere to the end, if we hang in there, if we trust the Lord to the end, we will reign with Christ. What a great truth. What a great promise. Why? Because God is working in His own. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we fall away in denial of God, if we completely do not trust Him, being a professing believer but not really a believer, and we deny Christ and deny God like Judas did, He will also deny us. But the great line there at the end, because we all struggle with our faithfulness, we're not as faithful as we want to be, right? All who are in Christ even. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We who are his children are secure. Why are we secure? Because God is a faithful God. He's a faithful father that takes care of us. And this great doctrine of God's faithfulness motivates us to keep going. It's also the way that we avoid false teaching... His faithfulness protects us, all who are truly His. The promise of salvation is bound up in this hymn. Those who have died with Christ will live with Him. Those who persevere with Christ will reign with Him. Those who deny Him by falling away, we're not really His and He will deny them. And all believers, even though we continually fight and struggle to be faithful... He's faithful. He's our Father. He's always with us and protects us. These truths should motivate us to avoid def- uh, the deception of the false teachers. The doctrine of God's faithfulness motivates us to run from anything that denies the purity of God's revelation of Himself in the Word. It causes us to say, God is building His church, right? Right? And His church is true, and we should stick with those who believe in Him. We should stick together. Just like Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. We must continually rehearse these truths, remind our hearts, counsel our souls... And when those whispers are going into our heads and we're hearing those thoughts, those those concepts that come from either outside or we're watching on something that says, watch for this thing, this unbiblical mandate, this thing that's really not an issue, be careful. Don't get caught up in wrangling about words. Friends, the greatest defense against evil is a mind stayed on God and His gospel. Listen closely, so important. A mind that is contemplating, thinking on the Word of God, the revelation of God in Scripture. As we're meditating and we're thinking on and we're thinking about the gospel, that is our greatest defense. We'll see that as we go along. So what do you think on? What are you meditating on? If we aren't careful, the quote, new things can be very distracting to us. They can lead us away. Have you noticed this? I've noticed this over the years. Just these little things that flare up in the Christian community, the greater evangelical community. It just, everybody starts saying, Wow, did you read this book? A book like Sarah Young's Talking to God. What are we doing? It's the new thing. It's the latest and greatest. That new movement that everybody's buying into. That new perspective on Paul. All that is what? Lies. Deception. Things that get us off the plain and simple doctrine of God. And his faithfulness. And the gospel. These things distract us. So we must rehearse The doctrine of God's faithfulness. This is what Paul tells Timothy to tell others. Rehearse the doctrine of God's faithfulness. These things. Next, in order for us to not fall into the deception of the false teachers, notice in verse 14, the second half, take serious our responsibility to avoid useless arguments. Take serious our responsibility to avoid useless arguments. Verse 14. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God. Man, that is about as strong a warning as you can give. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Paul exhorts Timothy to solemnly charge the faithful followers. This means give the people a serious warning to not wrangle about words. The warning is heightened by that phrase, in the presence of God. A strong warning in the presence of God, with the fear of God in view, of God's presence in view. This means warn them that they are accountable to God who sees and knows everything they are doing. So, what are they supposed to avoid? What is the warning? Avoid wrangling about words. What does wrangling about words mean? What did Paul mean? This is a word Paul probably even created. Wrangling about words is one Greek word. He made the word up. It literally means dispute about words. Dispute about words. Arguing over words. This concept of debating over words, arguing or useless talk is repeated a number of times throughout this whole section. This, by the way, listen closely, is the M.O., ...of false teachers to wrangle or argue about little nuances of words. They take and twist the truth... ...and then they create an argument over various teachings or doctrines... ...just a little twist in it, and then people argue about it. And they create these factions and frictions... ...that people are always constantly arguing about... Well, is that what that means? Are we supposed to have that kind of position or in that kind of position? Ultimately, sowing doubt in the hearts of the hearers. We are then tempted to get into useless arguments over their speculation. I got to admit, we went through a little bit of a trial like this about two to three years ago. Where I felt every time we got together, we argued about this one specific issue. And at the end of the day, every time we finished talking, I felt like we got nowhere. We talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. And most of the time, it wasn't even about the Bible. It was about what CNN or Fox News said. Oh... Eleven gets us off track. It gets us off track. It's grieving. This was the problem of the false teachers in Paul's day. And it's the same today. Heresy twists the truth. It ultimately calls into question the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. It's where it eventually goes, beloved. Friends, there's, I, just, I just heard of another church in the area that had one elder that completely bought a lie. And took some people away in their church. And now they're denying the inerrancy of Scripture. How does this happen? Well, it starts with just a little argument. One little book that somebody reads by somebody that's supposedly a scholar. And it becomes the beginning of a drift. It hasn't changed, beloved. This is exactly what he's talking about. The same thing. The enemy's attack is the same. Friends, there is an important warning here for all of us. Don't get into useless arguments of people who call in question the truth. Arguing over the Word can often be a futile and harmful endeavor. And it's not, I'm not talking about the Word of God. It's often arguing about things that aren't even clearly laid out in Scripture. Which can lead to the ruin of the hearer. Destruction for the ones who are involved in the argument and even the bystanders that see it and hear it. Please understand this. Does not mean, it does not mean we avoid standing firm for the truth. Do you hear me? It doesn't mean that. We stand firm for the truth. And when the gospel is called into question, we will die on that hill. But if you want to debate with me about something that's not in Scripture, about some word over here, I'm going to avoid that conversation. I'm sorry. My pride will jump in and I will slay you with my mouth and I don't want to do that. I'm not arguing there. You can bait me in Twitter and Facebook and every other place and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wave at you. (laughs) Love you, but I ain't going there. Now, if you call into question the gospel and you're at our church, you will get a phone call very quick or I will be at your door. Do you hear me? We will talk. I'm not going to debate with you about politics on Facebook. Arguing over these things are futile and harmful to the body of Christ. We must stand firm for the truth and not fall into the lies of the devil. We need to stick together, folks. This thing gets hard. We need to stay together. As we will see, the false teachers of Paul's day were saying the resurrection had already happened. What kind of speculation is this? This could mean they denied a physical resurrection, holding only to a spiritual resurrection. Maybe allowing for a more ascetic view of walking with God, that they would beat their bodies because their bodies were physical. And anything physical is bad, so you can do with it your body, whatever you want, or you can be, do these aesthetic practices, these disciplines, to somehow make yourself look more holy. It probably pointed to all the physical, material things as evil, and only spiritual things as being real, of real value. This would have provided for an excuse for wicked living for the false teachers. This is the root of all false teaching, by the way. It is a way to exalt self. It's what false teachers do. They exalt self. Arguing for a doctrine that elevates self. I remember, unfortunately, I looked online and it's been watched 6,000 times, that debate with Micah Armstrong. Y'all, remember, How many of you were here when I did that? Like four of you. That was a disaster. I remember dealing with this false preacher, Micah Armstrong. He was on campus at USF. He loved to argue. He'd scream at the students and call them all kinds of names. and Had songs, wicked songs, about their sin. He would sing these songs and mock them and judge them and kind of belittle them. He loved to have verbal fights with the students, and if any real believer was around, he'd, the real believer would get up there and say, there's got to be a better way for you to proclaim the gospel. Give the gospel. And they would ask him questions, and he would get in an argument with them, and he wanted to fight everybody all the time. He wouldn't fight them physically, but he would fight them with his words. He'd argue with them. Occasionally he'd say, well, why don't we just do some push-ups and see who can do the most push-ups? are you talking about? I mean, this is obviously pride. He thought, and he did this all to draw a crowd. That was his intention. He talks about it on his blog. He wanted a big crowd, so he would provoke a fight, an argument. And then he would pitch his perfectionism. His false gospel of self-reformation. He would say repent and believe. But he meant repent and believe meant stop sinning like I've stopped sinning. It's literally what he would say. I don't sin anymore. You guys are sinners. I don't sin anymore. What? It was the height of self-righteousness. and Ultimately... He was a false teacher and it was about self-promotion. He loved the fame of being widely known as the verbal abuser of sinners. They even made a movie about him. But it wasn't about Jesus. Jesus wasn't the hero. He was the hero in his own mind. Friends, I've learned the hard way over the years. I debated the guy, and it was just futile. It was useless. I should have hated these words earlier in my ministry. Don't waste your time arguing over words, over things that are just absolute foolishness. Call it out. You got a heresy here, and walk away. This is a heretic. Maybe the first time I stood and spoke at the campus would have been enough. When he was preaching, I finally said, I have had enough of this. And I stood up and said, students, I want you to know that what he's saying is not in the Bible. He's a heretic. Don't listen. Go back to your class. Bye. Because he was a heretic. It's futile. It's useless. And it must be avoided. If we aren't careful, our own pride can provoke us. We can fall into sin. However, what is the greatest defense? What is the greatest defense of false teaching? What is it? You ready? Be diligent to handle the Word properly. Know the Word. Know the Word. Know it inside and out. You all heard the illustration before, right? How do you tell a counterfeit bill from a real bill? You know the real bill really well. You know it so well that then when you lift up the counterfeit, oh, that's obviously not the real thing. So what do we need to study, beloved? The Bible! We need to know the Word. And that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. Look at verse 3. This is what you should be about, Timothy. This is what you should be doing, Timothy. Be diligent to handle the word properly. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. That is what we have to do. That must be our mission. That must be all of our purpose. Here is one of the clearest descriptions of a pastoral, pastor's ministry in one verse that I think you could find in all the Bible. This is it. But frankly, it should be a description of every believer's life and ministry. Every one of you should commit to follow this and obey this command. So let's unpack it. First, be diligent. Yep, this is a call for disciplined study. Diligent pursuit Of a right understanding of the truth. Beloved, this is not just a little five minute devotion where you read what somebody else says about a verse and you go on. This is discipline. This is diligent. This is a passionate pursuit to rightly cut the word of God. To cut it straight. We need to know it. We need to know the word. We need to understand the word. And then we need to apply the word exactly right. And again, I want to exhort you, beloved, here. Don't let me be your only source of the truth. Go to the word of God. Spend time in the word of God. Understand the word of God. And then apply the word of God. Ultimately it is about doing this for the Lord our God. We pursue a right understanding of God so that he says in the end, well done, good and faithful servant. We do want his approval. As we pursue this, we are diligent and I want him to say, way to go, you did it. Now, at this point, some of you in the room are going, wait, 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 wait. That sounds like God approves me if I do something. See, you're struggling with that justification, sanctification issue is what you are. No, we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn a right standing with God. By what we do. If we study the Bible every day for 30 hours, or there's not 30 day, hours, 24 hours a day, five day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, we did it all the time, and we did it every second of the day that we were awake and tried to stay awake more to do it. That would not get us into heaven any faster. None. None. We are saved by what Christ Jesus did. Period. It is His death for me that covers my sin. It is His righteousness and His obedience to the law that's credited in my account. And I'm righteous because of Him and Him alone in the sight of God. I'm approved ultimately for salvation because of God. Because of what God has done in Christ. However... All who are alive in Christ. We are now adopted into his family. He is our father. He's our Abba father. We want to do what? We want to obey him. And we want to please our father. And I don't have a problem with that. Do you? So how do we please our father? How is he approved? How does he approve us? We're diligent. We're diligent as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. Handle the Bible accurately. Get it right. Cut it straight. Understand it and get it exactly what it says. Don't deviate to the left or the right. Right on what he meant. How do we do this? By the grace of God that works within us. We must be diligent to present ourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The world may shame us for standing on the word of truth. We may miss a lot of the activities of the world. but all that really ultimately matters is is that we handle the Bible accurately. We get it. We understand it. And we speak it accurately. And share it accurately. Please, friends, we must all be about knowing the word of truth. The teachers all must be diligent to accurately handle it. Every parent. Every parent that shares a devotion with your kids, you need to be careful to cut it straight. Wow, that's a high bar. Does that mean I just give up if I'm not the greatest teacher in the world? No, it means you double down and you study more. You pursue God more. Does this require discipline? Yes, it does. It requires total dependence upon the Lord, doesn't it? Do you ever find yourself, I really don't want to read the Bible right now. How many of you have had that happen? Pick up the Bible and you say, okay, let me just zip down through this. I got my Bible reading in today, we're good to go check I'm a holy person oh beloved this means making war with our own flesh doesn't it making war with ourselves trust me a lot easier to watch a football game a lot easier than reading the Bible. I admit it, at times. When the Gators were spanking Michigan yesterday, it was real easy to watch that game. Sometimes if you're a Bucks fan, it's easier to read the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get... <laughs> Sadly, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> that was completely off the cuff, and it probably needs to be cut from the record. But friends, we need to be diligent students of the Word. And I know we're all tempted to find neat Christian books, but personally, let's, let's just read the Bible. Let's spend more time in the Word and do this with one audience in mind, not what other people think of you or whether you somehow achieve reading the Bible in a certain year or whatever. We just need to be in the word. So, I want you to covenant with me. I'm going to seek to accurately cut this straight. I want to know this word more. I want you to covenant with me for 2019 and beyond to, to work at knowing the word more. Again, I'm going to put my promotion in here today for reading through the Bible plan that I have in the back. When you leave, grab one. Let's read through. We start Monday. We're going to read through the Bible. I have three levels. It's very easy. Some of you can make it through that first level, and you're like, oh, that's no big deal. Six chapters a week. I can handle it. Good for you. Maybe dive into the second level. Get a little deeper. And then I'm going to share a devotion on that. I'm going to try to help you to look at these passages. Every day, all the time, in the word of God. So I'm going to share it with you. And I'm going to share it with you on this app that we, that's out there. But if you can't get that app, I'm making a special arrangement for anybody that just wants it emailed to you. I'm sorry I can't print them and mail them to everybody. There are some of you in the room that wish I would do that. But I can't email it to you, okay? So there's going to be a sign-up sheet in the back. You can put your email down and I'll send it to you every day. Monday through Friday. Not Saturday and Sunday. But Monday through Friday. Okay? Let's walk through the Bible together and accurately understand what it says. Get it. And then we can present it with others. This means studying the Bible daily. Daily. We can't become complacent and think we've arrived with respect to our knowledge of God and His Word. I hope many of you are committed to reading the scriptures with us this year. Yeah, that was a plug. I'm going to attempt to send that devotion, and I want you to all work with it. Let's study together, okay? So the best defense against false teachers and false teaching is knowing the word of God. That is the best defense. Next, we see our ungodly behavior is often a symptom of their wrong doctrine. So we must kill sin. Avoid the deadly talk of false teachers. Look at verse 16 to 18. But avoid worldly and empty chatter. Again, this is just developing the thing that he talked about wrangling over words. For it will lead further to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. As we said, the false teacher's worthless talk can lead to further ungodliness. We must avoid their lies and deception. However deceptively attractive those words may be. It may look to you and say, oh, that looks good. That's a new thought. I love that new thought. Be careful of new things, beloved. I'm just warning you. New things are often what? Bad. I'm being honest. Anything repackaged as new is probably an old lie repackaged. Case in point, the Jehovah Witness, did they just come up with that doctrine? No, that was started way back with Arian. It's just repackaged. Friends, we must not allow what's popular or attractive to our fleshly desires drive us into a ditch where we get in trouble is when we allow the latest and greatest Christian book and philosophy to derail us our pure and simple reading of the word and studying the gospel. When we get derailed by the worldly and empty chatter, our, moral, our morality then spirals downward, and it only anticipi- intensifies the more we study this false teaching. Then the false teaching derails us like a wicked disease, gangrene. It brings death, and it spreads. Paul's illustration here, as he he illustrates this with two false teachers who arose in the church of Ephesus. Do y'all remember back in Acts twenty when we went through Acts twenty? He met with those Ephesian elders, remember, and he said, "From among you will rise up, even some who will lead astray." the fly- He's, he's, I would not doubt that Hymenaeus is one of those leaders that he had warned in Acts 20. Same group. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, he talks about Hymenaeus, and he's linked to somebody else, Alexander. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So, Paul has already rebuked this guy. This guy has already been church-disciplined out. They're out of the flock. But it's very interesting, in 2 Timothy, he mentions the guy again, Hymenaeus. Which implies what? Just because he was out of the flock doesn't mean that he wasn't still what? Impacting the church. That's scary, beloved. That is very scary. Obviously, this Hymenaeus was a smooth talker. And his gangrene was spreading. This man had now teamed with Philetus to propagate a false teaching. And I find it so interesting. The enemy is so much like. He, he can, does the same approach. He does some of the same things. It's never one by himself. It's often Two. That's what the Lord sent them out and does. Well, what's the false teachers do? They kind of team up. They lead people astray. Ultimately, their teaching was causing problems with some people's faith in the Lord. We see it in our passage. This could be very disheartening for Timothy, wouldn't it be? You think it would be disheartening? Would it be disheartening to go through this? to see people upset the faith of some now let me tell you beloved this is like i said the saddest part of ministry is watching people that are professing faith walk away from the truth this spread was characterized as gangrene and Timothy would have been discouraged wouldn't it he'd be tempted he'd be tempted to want to just give up i've had those moments Do you understand Mondays are sometimes like that? When you look out and you know that the roll says 280 people or 250 people, and then there's only 150 here. That's a very disheartening thing for a pastor to wake up to on Monday morning. I'm just being honest. I'm keeping it hunted, as they would say. It's discouraging. Yeah, I'm hitting every, I'm trying to hit every culture. (laughs) Friends, we, uh, yeah, I'm going to preach a little bit here. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a soapbox. Listen closely. Please. Church attendance matters. It does. We care about you. We love you. And the word of God is how you're going to thrive in your walk with the Lord. I'm not trying to put a legalistic bar for you to jump over. Do you understand? It's not about achievement. It's about your soul. It matters. You need the word every day. And since I'm here, come early. You'll get a better seat. Don't come late. You'll have to sit in those poor hard chairs in the back. And those are taken often right away. So then you'll have to walk all the way forward and everybody will look at you. Hi, how are you doing? We need the word, don't we? You know, Sunday night's good too. Wednesday nights a wonderful place to get to know people. These are great places to get engaged in the body of Christ. That's where you're going to really learn what we're about. So please, beloved, don't drift away. Be all in. So as Timothy is discouraged and sad and seeing people drift away... Paul ends with this beautiful line. Look at it in verse 19. Remember the stability of God's sovereign work. Look, remember the stability of God's sovereign work. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So what's he mean? Well, this is the great encouragement for the believer and for the shepherd that's struggling with seeing this and seeing the gangrene spreading. You're seeing the gangrene spread and you're seeing people drift away and you're grieving and you're crying and you're begging God, what's going on? This is so hard. What do we need to counsel our soul? Exactly what Timothy says. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. What's the firm foundation? I think it's the context is, is the church, God's people. God's established plan for the church, the foundation. It stands. It's not going anywhere. God's people are God's people. And God's people are going to pursue righteousness. They're going to pursue the truth. They're going to pursue obeying God. That's what the passage says. The Lord knows whom are His. Those who are His. He's intimately acquainted with Him. He has ordained it. And that's the great thing. That if the church, the visible church, becomes a little smaller because people leave, ultimately, God's church is still being built. And it's solid and we can trust his sovereign plan, can't we? That's so good. That is so good. Trust me, it was even better news for my soul when I was, we were, went from 30 to 16 at the beginning of the church. And there were 16 of us and they were all my family and Mark's family. And we looked at each other every week. Where is everybody? And somebody, a visitor would come in and we would attack them. <laughs> and they'd say, you're weird. <laughs> and what's with that ball, disco ball? <laughs> but he will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He knows his own. And his own, those that name the name of the Lord, will abstain from wickedness. They will not fall away. (laughs) This is the whole preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints. Why are we who are his going to stay his? Because he's going to keep us, right? But at the same time, we are going to persevere. Why? Because we who are born again, what? will abstain from wickedness. We're not going after those false teachers. How many of you are with me? Come on, everybody. I hope everybody in the room says, Me, I'm not going after false teaching. I'm going to follow Christ to the end. By the grace of God that's working in me. How many of you? Good. Well, I know the word says it. So you are going to be here. And I'll see you again next Sunday. Or tomorrow night would be great for the fellowship. Our God is good, isn't he? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises of your, God, your sovereign work, that you are working in your own. You love us, you are protecting us, you are giving us the grace to endure these impossible trials and difficulties that come our way. God, we pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see the wickedness of the world, the wickedness of false teaching, and avoid it. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. We need you, Father. We trust you, Father. We know that you are good, Father. We pray that you check our hearts and help us to remain humble and dependent upon you. Not thinking that it's because of us and our power. But it's your power, your grace, your goodness that leads us to you. We long for that day when we will be face to face with you. Well, we will worship you unhindered by the things of this world. And we look forward to that final resurrection. When we will rule and reign with you forever and ever and ever. May you receive all glory and honor and power. Now and forever. Amen.